Good morning. My name is Sarah, and I am a workaholic. In our culture that uh, so prizes productivity, that statement does sound a little tongue-in-cheek. We chuckle, you know, because who among us hasn't overworked? Who among us hasn't had their plate be a little bit too full? No rest for the weary. It's just how it is. And I work in college ministry, and one thing about college students is they will hang out with you any time of the day, any day of the week. And so there's this fatal combination for me of an endless opportunity to work and an endless appetite for work. And so early in my career, I found myself burnt out. I googled the definition of burnt out. According to the Mayo Clinic, it is complete mental physical, and emotional exhaustion. It is difficult to engage in activities you might normally find meaningful. You may no longer care about the things that are important to you, and you might experience an increasing sense of hopelessness. Check, 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 check. It didn't seem to matter how much I slept. I would still feel fatigue down in my bones. And my typically extroverted self was hiding under the covers at every opportunity And my life seemed to stretch up before me in a never-ending list of obligations. And if you're in your early 20s, that's pretty bleak. So my mentor started telling me that I needed to rest. And she would specifically say, you need to sit on the couch. But so much of my workaholism is fueled by the belief that the only way to belong and to have worth is by staying in motion and producing And I don't want to be worthless. So I just kept trying to push through, but my body kept shutting down in protest. And so at some point I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. The pushing through is not working anymore. I will try this sitting on the couch thing. And my mentor was like, I promise you won't be on the couch forever. Your body will let you know when it's time to come off. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Internally, I was terrified. I felt trapped because I could recognize that I wasn't working well, but resting felt like dying. Our text today is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And before I continue, I'd like us all to read that together. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2, and as you're able, stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. The thing that might jump out to us as immediately significant in this passage is that creator God rested. But in this text, I actually see a God who both worked and rested. In the last few weeks of this series, we have seen God create a world of harmony. He created containers of time to hold the harmony of day and night. He created containers of space to hold the harmony of land and sea, of earth and sky. 
And now in our passage today, he is creating a container of rhythm to hold the harmony of rest and work. And he has blessed that harmony. When Pastor David approached me about being a part of this series in Genesis, I knew immediately that the sermon on rest is the one I wanted to give. And this is not because I have mastered the art of resting. It's because I, it's the sermon I knew I needed to receive. I knew that in preparing it, I needed to sit at the feet of the God who both worked and rested and created me to do the same. And so when I said yes, I thought that preparing would look like this. I thought I would reflect on all I have learned since sitting on the couch 15 years ago and that God would give me this like great insight into resting and I'd get to stand here before you testifying to how rested I am and how good God is. Um, that's not what happened. Instead, I'm standing here before you as a new mom who hasn't slept through the night in almost eight months longer than that, really. I'm standing before you as a full-time worker who is also trying to finish her graduate degree. I'm standing before you as a fellow human whose eyes often hurt from weeping over the realities of suffering in our city and on our globe. And so what I offer today is a sermon I'm still in the process of living. I have lingering questions about rest. What does it look like for my sleep-deprived self? And what does it mean for our suffering world? One thing I am holding for myself and for all of us today is that the blessing of God is contained in the harmony of rest and work. The blessing of God is contained in the harmony of rest and work. Next year, our ministry focus is Sabbath. And this passage in Genesis serves as sort of the raw material that will become the justification for the Sabbath practice in the book of Exodus. And like Pastor David said, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves today. We're going to have a whole year to unpack that. So today, I just want to examine those raw materials, rest, work, and the harmony of the two. Because I believe that each of these elements holds an invitation for us today. So first, let's look at the raw material of work. Pastor David has already unpacked so much of the work of God for us over these last few weeks, so I'm just going to recap a couple of things. God created harmony. He worked order out of chaos. God created and he called it good. He worked to bring goodness. And God created us in his image. He worked to bring dignity to the very fabric of humanity. And something else I want to bring into focus for our purposes today is that these first two chapters of Genesis are before sin enters the world. This is before the fall. And so work is not a result of the fall. Work is good. The invitation for us as creatures is to remember that God's good plan created us to work. And if you're wondering specifically what that work looks like, I'd encourage you to like go listen to the podcast or, or online to the sermons of this series. I don't, I don't usually listen to sermons when I miss church on Sunday. I don't go back and listen to it, but I've found that this, uh, series specifically has a lot of cohesion and everything kind of builds on each other and feeds into each other. 
And so I feel like Rich and Pastor David have, have really built this out for us really well because our work looks like caretaking creation. It looks like living in interdependence. It looks like embracing vulnerability. The invitation for us as creatures is to remember that work is good. Which brings me to my other raw material of rest. Um, in English literature, the, the oomph, the kind of crescendo, the big like highlight is at the end of a piece. And we know this because when we sing songs in worship, the part where you know the music swells and we put our hands in the air if they weren't already in is at the bridge which comes after we've sung all the verses, after we've sung the chorus a few times, there towards the end of the song is the sort of big emotional peak. In Hebrew literature, that crescendo, that oomph, is in the very middle. It's as if the authors are saying, X marks the spot. Right here in the center is the good stuff. And I think, as we look at this passage, even just laid out on a page, it comes in the very middle of our creation narrative. It's the bridge between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's like the author is saying, hey, God didn't rest as an afterthought because God earned it, because he had to. God rested as an intentional choice. And he put it in the very central fabric of his creation. And what does the rest of God look like? Is it just indulgent self-care? Is it checking out? I have two thoughts for us today. The word for rest in Hebrew is Shavat, which might sound familiar because that's where we get our word for Sabbath. It literally translates to cease or to abstain. And some Jewish scholars have even gone so far as to interpret this rest of God in Genesis as God abstaining from interfering with creation. I think about it this way. It is good for my eight-month-old's development that I abstain from interfering as he's exploring. He's like learning how to crawl and all this stuff. He's learning the boundaries of his limbs and muscles. Now, that doesn't mean that I set him in a room with lots of small, chokeable, sharp objects, and then I go to another room and forget about him. No, I set him down in a wide open, safe space, and then I stay with him and I watch him, but I abstain from interfering. And that is truly one of the most fun things about being a parent right now. So I think when God abstained from interfering with creation, he was setting it down in a safe, wide open space for it to become. And if I a parent who gets distracted by my own tiredness, by my phone, by my messy house, if I can pause and abstain to delight in my child as he inchworms around our house, how much more can God delight in his creation as it becomes? This rest of abstaining, God didn't abstain because he was like, cool, my job here is done, work is done. I'll never work again. We know this is true because there were billions of humans yet to be born after these first seven days. There were trillions of trees that had yet to bear fruit. And there were generations of animals, fish, and birds that had yet to inhabit the land, sea, and sky. The work wasn't done forever. 
We know God didn't rest because he was so burnt out. Because in Isaiah, we hear that God doesn't grow weary, doesn't grow tired. He wasn't abstaining because the work was too much for him. He was sending a message to his creation that this isn't a day to just uh, check out because you're just so tired, you just collapse. This is a day to delight, to delight knowing that the work will be there on Monday too. There's another way that I learned about rest in preparing this sermon. There's a Hebrew word for rested. I'm going to try and pronounce it. It's vinafesh, and it has this implication of catching one's breath or being insold, which is a kind of a weird word, but I like it because it, it's as if you're a container and a soul is filling it. And I'm not sure of the metaphysics of this or the theological ramifications of this, but I don't know if God has a soul, but I know God is a spirit. And something about God's day of rest allowed for creation to be ensouled, to be in touch with its soul. God breathed a vigor of life on that day. We've been singing So Will I, a song. Uh, I love that song <laughs> a lot throughout this series. And uh, there's a line in it that says, And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. When God rested It gave creation permission to catch its breath, specifically catching God's breath. This also was a precedent. Creatures are not meant to work without ceasing any more than they were meant to breathe only by inhaling. This seventh day is a built-in exhale to allow creation to catch God's breath, to be ensouled, to be inhabited and delighted in by its creator. We're not machines. And even machines work better when you unplug them and plug them back in. And so the invitation for us in this raw material of rest is to prioritize a rest that abstains from interfering with creation and allows us to be ensouled. What does that look like? It looks different for everyone. And I imagine in the year to come, we will explore more of the mechanics and specifics of cultivating a practice of rest and Sabbath, both individually and collectively. But for now, let's stay again in this essential element. Rest is meant to be rhythmic and central, regularly occurring, not because we're collapsing from exhaustion. Rest is meant to invite us to abstain from interference. We press pause on what we define as work, even work that we enjoy. Rest is meant to allow us to catch our breath and to be ensouled. We inhale and we exhale and we stay in this present moment knowing that that work that is undone and unfinished and stressing us out and sitting on the back burner, it's going to still be there. So we're going to rest now. And be resold and insold by our creator. When I was at the end of my rope and burnt crispy, I was still resisting the invitation to rest. Because I was certain that if I stopped, I would never start again. 
I'd just be confirming that I was in fact as lazy as I was afraid I was. But my created body knew something my brain didn't know. It's that rest and work are meant to harmonize. Just as the sea has no real meaning until it is distinguished from land, so rest and work have no real meaning unless they are distinguished from one another. And so I was afraid of over-resting because I had overworked. I couldn't imagine how those could be in harmony. And my body said, yes, you're made to work, but you are also made to rest. And so let's look at that, that final element today, the harmony of rest and work. God blesses the seventh day and he calls it holy. And holy just means set apart, distinct. This seventh day is distinct from the other days because it's a day of rest, distinct from the days of work. And we talked about what that that first Sunday might have looked like, abstaining for the purpose of delighting, ensouling for the purpose of giving life. But we know that after the first Sunday came, I guess, the second Monday, the work continues. And I wonder what that second Monday might have looked like. I don't fully know. The Bible doesn't tell us what God did on that second Monday. But I do know that God didn't get the Sunday scaries. And so he wouldn't have entered into Monday returning to work filled with dread or lingering exhaustion. If work is our call to participate in creation as creatures, rest is our embodied reminder that we are still creatures. If God rested... Who are we as his creatures to do anything else? We cannot go beyond where the creator has gone. The sun doesn't rise and set at our provocation. The world doesn't rest on our shoulders. Rest is a testimony that we are finite humans and not God. And what happens when these elements are out of harmony I would say we're incapable of actually caretaking and doing the work God created us to do. The number one parenting advice I've gotten is uh, you should take care of yourself so you can take care of your kid. If you are tired, you're not going to be patient with them. You're not going to, you know, be compassionate to them, as compassionate to them. And that is something that's I've been thinking about even before I became a parent, because as a minister, if I'm exhausted, how can I hold the weight of someone else's story if I can't even hold my own? When rest and work are out of harmony, we are discouraged from vulnerability. A tired body switches in to survival mode, hoarding resources, putting up walls, protecting itself. This is all in direct opposition to vulnerability. When rest and work are out of harmony, we can't feel the delighted gaze of God. If someone is overstimulated, they can't take in new information, and the thing that is loudest and most urgent is the thing that gets the attention. God's delighted gaze over you as his creature is not the loudest and most urgent thing. And so it is often missed and not getting our attention. When rest and work are out of harmony, we trade real rest for numbness, for distraction, for consumption, for vacating. I think sometimes we resist rest because we're like, it doesn't actually work. When I get to Monday, I'm still tired. 
But I wonder if what we're actually resisting is the fact that avoiding doesn't work. If you've ever felt like you need a vacation to recover from your vacation, you'd know what it feels like to mistake vacating for resting. When rest and work are out of harmony, we are captive to our compulsions and guilt. Did I do enough? What about the endless need of the world? Okay, here, have this. I'm so tired, but take this anyway. It's all ruled by fear, by insecurity, by a feeling that we have to be the answer to every need. So what does it look like for the elements of work and rest to be in harmony? The opposite of everything above. Caretaking instead becomes mutually life-giving. When rest and work are in harmony, we can let our guard down and be generous in our vulnerability. Like the sun warming our faces, we can feel the delighted gaze of God. Our souls can actually recover from the constant barrage of stimulation and information. And we are free to discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct our lives. When our work and our rest are in harmony, our lives testify to a good and trustworthy God. I'll be honest, this harmony is really hard for me. If I rest or I think, oh, I need, to, I need to focus on rest. I don't sleep well at night. I struggle with insomnia because I didn't wear myself out enough. I didn't spend enough energy. So then I'm not sleeping and I'm not resting. So it feels counterproductive. But if I'm like, oh, I'm going to focus on work, then I inevitably overwork and find myself tired. And it just feels like this endless cycle of exhaustion to exhaustion to exhaustion. And so I th- kind of threw my hands up at God this week, like, okay, what? <laughs> and I wonder if that harmony isn't ours to manufacture. I wonder if the invitation that harmony holds for us is actually one of surrender. And I think this is especially important for our church as justice-oriented and active as we are. One of the things that that drew me to new community and drew us as a family here is how involved and attuned we are as a church and a community to the needs of our neighborhood, to the needs of our city and our world. We are involved. We are active. We are listening. But the needs of our neighborhood and our city are truly endless. And my eyes hurt from weeping. So much injustice actually comes from systems that dehumanize with practices that make it impossible for beloved image bearers to rest. And there's an alluring temptation to believe that if we are going to fix it, we also cannot rest. But I want to remind us that rest isn't vacating or numbing. It's abstaining from interfering to be ensouled, to catch our breath. If we are committed to prioritizing a regular balance of work and rest, that harmony actually allows us to stay in the work longer and to enact true and holistic justice. Our surrender to the harmony of rest and work affirms, again, we are creatures And it gives other creatures permission to be the same. It keeps us human to one another. The harmony of rest and work is an invitation to surrender. We have to bring God into the conversation. Because what time is it now, God? Is it time to rest? Is it time to work? 
How do I catch your breath so that other people can be invited to catch that breath too? What's the work that you've actually given us to do right now? A friend of mine was looking over my sermon and giving me feedback, and she said, rest seems more about freedom than it is not working. And I was like, well, do you want to come give my sermon for me? Because that's pretty good. And it reminded me, um, one thing I was thinking a lot about as I prepared this sermon was that many of the other ancient Near Eastern narratives of which Genesis is written as a kind of counter narrative, humans were created to be slaves of the gods, to work for the gods. But the creator God of Genesis didn't create slaves. God created humans bestowed with his image. God created children. A slave does not and cannot rest in the presence of their master, but a child can and does rest in the presence of their caregiver. When we rest from our work, we are signaling to our bodies and to the bodies around us that we are created children. We are signaling we are free and come get free with us. God's blessing that of harmony between rest and work is a gift to receive. It is not an obligation to fulfill. And so today, if we walk out of this gymnasium feeling shame that we don't rest more or guilt that we have found ourselves again overworked, if rest just becomes another thing to add to your long to-do list, then we have distorted the gift of God for another obligation. Church, the blessing of God is in the harmony of rest and work, humbly surrendering to God as he guides us between the two. There will be times where our bodies need more rest, both collectively and individually. There will be times where we feel more invigorated to work. And honestly, a lot of time will just be spent in between, regularly resting, not because we are so exhausted, but because we know that the work will be waiting for us when we return. I don't know where you are in the process of allowing rest and work to be harmonized. I don't know today how you might need to receive the blessing of God in your life. But I have a hunch that your created body does know. I'm training to be a spiritual director, so I like practicing. I want to close with an opportunity to listen. How is God inviting us, inviting you to catch God's breath. And as we look towards cultivating a rhythm of Sabbath as a church, which element of rest and work is clamoring for your attention? To help us listen, I'm just going to read a verse from Matthew in the message translation. And you don't have to do anything but listen. If you want to close your eyes and breathe, that's all you have to do. Where are you being invited to surrender to the harmony of rest and work? Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let me pray. Creator God, thank you for the gift of rest and the gift of work. Thank you for the precedent you have set for us, that we are not your slaves, but we are your children. I pray that both today and in the year to come, you would be speaking deeply to our souls of how to catch our breaths, how to stay in the good work you have created for us to do. Lord, I am humbled that this is the life you invite us to. Thank you, Lord. Help us trust you that you will let us know when it's time to rest and when it's time to work. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.